Welcome back in to the David L. Gray Show off code and unscripted. I got one topic today, and it's not going to be in 10 minutes. I got to spend a little bit of time on this one, unpacking some things for you because it's a serious issue. I'm not even going to start the clock because I know I'm going to go over 10 minutes. It might be double, might be triple. I don't know. This is completely unscripted. I got a couple notes here. I don't know where I'm going, but I got to give you some real talk about a real situation. And then after that, I'm going to get to some of your comments from previous shows. So let's get this going now. Diocese of Covington, Kentucky, it used to have a traditional Latin Mass. If you live in the Diocese of Covington, Kentucky or nearby, you can go into the diocese and uh, worship through the traditional Latin Mass at a parish called Our Lady of Lords, which was the ecclesial home of the traditional Latin Mass in that diocese, which means it was the parish that was your option to go to to worship through the traditional Latin Mass. Now, there's no longer a traditional Latin Mass there. Why? Well, let's talk about that. According to a communication from Bishop John Ivert, and you can read his whole letter over on my Facebook page, but according to this letter, he has requested the resignation of Father Shannon Collins, who belongs to the missionaries of St. John the Baptist. He's requesting his resignation as pastor of Our Lady of Lourdes Parish, which celebrated traditional Latin Mass in the diocese. He has also removed a Father Sean Kapinski, who also belongs to the missionaries of St. John the Baptist. He has removed him as the parochial vicar. Now, if you belong to the Diocese of Covington, Kentucky, or thereabouts, you no longer have that option to go to Our Lady of Lords Parish to worship through the traditional Latin Mass. You, you may still have some options if you cross the river into Cincinnati or going to Dayton. I know there's a traditional Latin Mass there by FSSP. Also, over in Frankfurt, there's the FSSP there you can celebrate through. Or if you want to do the whole irregular thing, um, you can, I think there's some SSPX uh, in, in that area too. But we should talk about this. Why has this happened? Well, according to the letter from the bishop, he has a paragraph here where he explains why Our Lady Lourdes no longer has a traditional mass. He hopes to establish another one there, but for now, it is it has been canceled. And he says for some time now, he says, I've had serious concerns about the parish's pastoral leadership. He says, I attempted to resolve those concerns in conversations and fraternal correction with these priests, Father Shannon and Father Sean, who, who he says are brothers and sons to me. Regretfully, I have been unable to do so. I take this action after becoming aware that Father Collins has preached in the parish that the holy sacrifice of the Mass, as is celebrated by the current Roman Catholic liturgy, is irrelevant, preserves literally nothing of the old, and that the reform of the liturgy was motivated by hatred towards traditional Catholics and the ancient liturgies of Rome. So according to the bishop, that was the reason that Father 
channel is removed, the wire lady lures no longer has a traditional light mask. Now keep in mind the traditionist custodies and, and also the motor proprio that preceded it. It says that priests who are not um, who, who reject Vatican II, priests who have the disposition that the Novus Ordo is um, heretical or is not a valid liturgy, priests like that are not qualified to celebrate the traditional at Mass. They are not the type of priests who um, the Pope or the Bishop should allow to celebrate the traditional at Mass. So now that's why the Bishop says, Bishop Bifer says that these priests um, he's asked Father um, Shannon to resign as pastor, and he's just removed um, Father Sean. Now, that's the letter. Those are the reasons why Our Lady of Lourdes do not have a traditional at Mass, according to the bishop. Now, let me get real with you. Let me keep it honest with you. Let me give you that real, real talk that some of you, you're going to get upset. You're going to get mad at me. You're going to want to unsubscribe, right? Because I'm not going to read off the trad talking points for the day about this issue. And as I say, I'm one of the few people in the Catholic media social space, social media space, that gives zero concerns, zero cares about your feelings. Because, right? you know, you can get some of your feelings. But listen, I'm just here to speak the truth to you, not give you the caulk. Call, um, the, the, the cult in the, in the campy speak to make you feel good, to affirm your fears, to make you feel like a victim. I'm not here for that. I'm going to give you the honest, give you the real, real. All right. So here we go. I'm about to tell you why Our Lady of Lourdes no longer has a traditional Latin mass there for people um, to worship through. One of the first reasons why. Um, Our Lady of Lourdes it used to have a traditional Latin Mass, it no longer does, is because Father Collins, who um, is because he's a traditional Latin Mass supremacist. That's what he is. We talked about these traditional Latin Mass supremacists in another video, but I'll, I'll recap it for you. A traditional Latin Mass supremacist is someone who's a, a supremacist, like any supremacist. They think that the thing that they think is supreme, they think is supreme over all other things. And that is so supreme that um, they don't have the, the time or they don't have the interest in, 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 to, to even take part in that thing that they think is inferior to the thing that they hold to be supreme. Whether it's their race, whether it's their liturgy, whether it's their coffee. It, it doesn't matter. This is how supremacists operate. And so because he's a supremacist, because he, he's turned the liturgy, the traditional Latin mass into an idol, because he turned his uh, traditional Latin mass into um, uh, to idolizing it and rather rather worshiping through it, he decided to worship it, the thing itself. This was the premise do. They worship the thing itself because he's become that person, because he is that person. During a homily, a homily, he decided to hurl insults and lies from the pulpit, saying lies such as the uh, the, the traditional Latin mass, he says, literally has nothing of the old, which is a lie. Even if the Novus Ordo had just, just a Kyrie liaison, it would have, it would be in continuity with the oldest of liturgies. Even if the Novus Ordo had just the Sorsum Coda, lift your hearts up to the Lord, 
it will have something in continuity with the older liturgies. Even if the only thing the Norvis Ordo had was the sign of peace, the kiss of peace, it will have something in common with some of the oldest liturgies. So that's a lie. Father Collins is up here lying from the pulpit, and that's why Our Lady of Lourdes no longer has a traditional Latin Mass because he's a traditional Latin Mass supremacist and a liar, and he got busted. You know, the Diocese of Covington, it used to have a traditional Latin Mass, and now it no longer does. Why? Because Father Shannon Collins has refused correction from his bishop. He refused to be docile and humble. And according to LifeSite News, that uh, Father Shannon Collins has even refused to concelebrate a Norris Ordo Mass with his bishop upon request. Again, he's a traditional Latin Mass supremacist, so why would he? A, a black supremacist, many of who I know, would never sit down and eat breakfast with a white person or, or, or a Chinese person. Why? Because he's a supremacist. He thinks these other ethnicities are inferior to him. It'd be shameful and disgusting for him to take part in a, a food, a, a breakfast with a person of a different ethnicity. Same with a white supremacist, Asian supremacist, whatever. They would never do that. So perhaps Bishop John Eifert was setting him up. We don't know. But... Um, that's why Our Lady of Lords in the Diocese of Covington does not have today a traditional Latin Mass because Father Shannon Collins is a traditional Latin Mass supremacist who is not docile and who's disobedient to his bishop. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but the Diocese of um, Covington, Kentucky, it used to have a traditional Latin Mass and it no longer does. Why? Because Father Collins decided to fight the liturgy wars during the mass. The liturgy wars are dumb and the people who fight them are dumb. The war is not fought during the mass. That, that's not what the mass is for, to fight these silly liturgy wars. The wars is outside of mass. That's where we do battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That should not take place during the liturgy. The war is not with the liturgy. It's against evil in the world. So, but, you know, sometimes these priests forget their job, don't they? They forget their job. They forget that, that the one thing that they're ordained to do is not to fight wars themselves. They're not soldiers. But their job is to equip the soldiers for the battle, for the war. That's us. And the way they equip us and prepare us is through the sacraments. Through the liturgy, they equip us, they arm us, namely with Jesus Christ himself, to go out into the world to do battle. But sometimes they, they forget their, 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 their role. The priest is not a soldier. He's a nurse. A nurse. A nurse that assists the great physician, Jesus Christ. That's their job. That's, that's all that they are. And this is not condescending. This is not a, a, pejorator, a pejoratory thing to say. Brother, it's, it's the nurse is the highest in the, the most noble profession there is on this planet to be a nurse of the great physician, Jesus Christ. That's their job. Not soldiers. They're nurses. Their job is to heal, to mend, to put band-aids on, and to strengthen the sick, the needy, the poor. That's us. So that why? That we can leave the mass after we're dismissed at the, the Etta Missa S to go out into the world to do battle. 
That's their job. That's it. They're nurses to tend the sick, to minister by ministering the sacraments. But priests like Father Collins, he wants to act like a, a soldier <laughs> and, and fight some sort of silly, pointless war during the mass. That's not how that works. And that's why. That's why. Because he's fighting these silly wars that he's not called to fight. That is why his bishop has removed him. Asked him to resign. Because he's starting these wars against uh, not, even, not even the devil. But against us. We're the ones that's being harmed by this, this war he started. Now, now people in a diocese, do no, they no longer have a traditional Latin mass to go to. Unless they cross the river or travel far away. So the war was against us. The war was against his bishop. You know, priests, you know what priests are. You know, they're nurses. But they're also like, they're Q from James Bond. Q from James Bond. Remember Q from James Bond? Q from James Bond, his job was just to see James Bond say, hey, here's a pin that turns into a sword. That's it. He's cute. Right? He'll say, oh, here, here's, a, here's a book that turns into a car, right? Or, 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 or here's a phone that, that, that turns into a house. I don't, I don't know. That's it. Priests are a cue from the James Bond movie. That's it. Prepare and equip those who are called to do battle. We're James Bond. We're the ones who leave the mass and go do battle in the world. We're the ones who leave the mass and that's where we become saints. That's where we're persecuted. That's where we engage in uh, uh, white martyrdom or red martyrdom. It's not during the mass. Maybe unless you live in Nigeria and you're at mass, somebody comes in there and kill you. But no other people has ever become saints in the mass. It's out of the mass, out of the world. That's where we become saints. Not in the mass. Not what we're worshiping, but outside of it, after we're paired. Because in a mass, we're not even saying our own words. We only say what the church tells us to say. <laughs> we're not even doing our own movements. We, 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 our movements are controlled by what the church tells us to do. Stand, kneel, sit. That's not how you become a saint. By being uh, uh, being obedient to, to, to um, or a robot, so to speak, in a sense. Not really controlling your own actions. No, it's when we make our choices our choices in the world, those are the things that we'll be judged by. But see, Father Father Shannon Collins doesn't understand that, right? He wants to start these these wars, thinking that that um that you know the whole point of the liturgy is to um teach us through a pedagogical sense and through repetition, teach us how to live the liturgy, the next viende. To live the liturgy in the world. As I always say in my podcast on Reflections at the Mass. Be in the world who the liturgy has prepared you to be. But that's why Our Lady Lords and Diocese of Covington no longer has a traditional Latin Mass. Because Father Shannon Collins, um, he wants to fight these wars that he has not been called to fight. That's not even his job. He's supposed to be a nurse, and he failed at that. The Covington it used to have a traditional Latin Mass at Our Lady Lords. Now it doesn't. Why? Well, another reason is because dialogue failed between the bishop and the priest. You know what dialogue is? It's two words put together: dia and logos. Dia and logos. Dia means through. Logos means word. As Catholics, we understand it, it means that dialogos is through the word. Dialogue, therefore, is a journey to the word. All dialogue, all true dialogue, 
leads to Christ. Or as, as Dominicans, we would say, all dialogue, all communication leads to the truth. Because truth is a person named Jesus Christ. So dialogue failed. See, dialogue is different than talking. Right. Talking is just, you know, it can just go one way. There's there's no exchange. There's no leading. There's no guiding. It, 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 you know, two people can just talk at, at, at each other. And it's not true communication. Because true communication leads to communion to Christ. So I, I don't know who wasn't listening. Whether it's the bishop or um, Collins. But there, there was no true dialogos here. No real efforts by the bishop or a failure of obedience and docility by Collins. I don't know. But either way, there was a breakdown. And that's why there's no longer traditional Latin mass in Covington. Covington used to have a traditional Latin mass. And Our Lady of Lourdes. Now it doesn't. Why? Because Father Collins and, and Father Sean, they chose themselves over you their actions were selfish self-indulgence and had no place during a homily that's not what homilies are for to fight these little silly wars no they're the place of these liberal priests be up there talking about uh illegal immigration and why that's so good or, or anything anything that's not oriented towards preparing you to receive the holy eucharist what did this what did this anything he said According to Bishop, what did any of this have to do with preparing you to receive the Holy Eucharist? Why did he force that disposition on you to be angry at the Norvis Ordo? What the hell did that have to do with anything? How did that make you holy? How did that prepare you to receive the Holy Eucharist? That was trifling, that was little, and it was beneath Christ and his church to engage in that type of talk during a homily. And I'll say this about a liberal priest who engages in, in, in talking about how bad Trump is or, or, or this. It, it doesn't it doesn't matter. People just do your job. That's all you have to do. Now, there can't be an occulty response to all this, right? To this avoidable tragedy, which it is very avoidable is that, well, these priests have been canceled for just speaking the truth. They, they've been persecuted for just speaking the truth and standing up for traditions. Shut up. Shut up. That is not what this is about at all. This was completely avoidable if they just did their job. No, Collins was asked to resign and Sean got fired for being disobedient. They put everyone, they're not the victims. The victims are the people who worship at that church because they're the ones who don't have a traditional Latin mass to worship at, at that parish anymore. Listen, you guys know I'm all for cancel priests. I was one of the first people to jump on with the Coalition for Cancel Priests. Had Father Lovell and others on my show many times asked you to contribute to their mission. Spoke at several of their conferences. I still believe in their mission. Whatever's going on with them today, I still believe in their mission to support canceled priests. If the priests are canceled for righteousness sake, priests who are canceled by bad bishops, I, I don't stand up for bad priests. 
I don't stand up for bad priests. I don't put a, a cape on for them. But there's no evidence here that Father John Eifert is a bad bishop. Right? Maybe Father Collins has a different side of the story. I don't know. I'll, I'll wait and see. To see his side of the story come out. But I, I'll, I'll defend priests who did nothing wrong. I don't see that here. I don't see that here. And I see Bishop John Eifert, he wants the traditional Latin Mass to come back at that parish. He says he wants that ministry to continue. The mission of Our Lady of Lourdes to continue. And I believe him. So, um, I, I don't defend stupidity. I don't defend selfishness. Father Shannon Collins had one job to do. Keep the traditional Latin Mass at Our Lady of Lourdes. Keep celebrating the sacraments. That's the only job he had to do. You know, the traditional Latin Mass already has enough microscopes on it. It does. has enough microscopes on it. He couldn't keep his head down. He couldn't just do his job. He couldn't just be a father and protect his children. That, that's like me. Four daughters. Imagine if I just sat on my butt and didn't go to work. If I didn't have a job. It just sat around waiting for money to appear from the sky. You, you know what happens? Well, the lights get turned off. The water gets turned off. The electric gets turned off. We get evicted. That's Father Collins. <laughs> Had one job to do. One job. Couldn't do that. Now the TLM is evicted. Because he didn't do his job as father. Am I making you uncomfortable? Am I making you uncomfortable with the truth? Are you all up in your feelings, your emotions now? I want to unsubscribe. I, I get it. I get it. You know, I, I met Father Collins and some of the men who he had in formation for missionaries of St. John the Baptist. I met him at Our Sorrowful Mother's Ministries in Vandalia, Illinois, when I was speaking there. He's doing a retreat there some years ago. And so having met him and have met some of his postulants, maybe, I think they were in formation, I'm very disappointed that he had the opportunity to make um, the missionaries of St. John the Baptist, make it permanent and sustainable in Kentucky, make it a vibrant home for people who wanted to worship through the traditional Latin Mass, and people who want to enter into um, this missionary group for religious formation and for service to God in his church. But now, because of this, these selfish um, indulgences, the missionaries of St. John the Baptist in that diocese, they're in a very precarious situation. Because he didn't do the one job he was assigned to do. Because he wanted to be a traditional Latin mass supremacist and go to war over something dumb. I know there's some easy takes out there. I know there's some easy takes. The whataboutisms. You know, you want to say, oh, what about Father James Martin? What about all those mass nightmares used to show in this channel, David? I get it. I get it. Those are the easy takes. They do have some merit to them. I, I know it's easy to just kind of point the finger that way. I get it. But when you have a red dot pointing right here at your heart and you see it, you see a sniper aiming dead at you and you don't move out the way. Who's dumb? Who's the victim?
shame on you if you just sit there. You see the red dot pointing at you. You see a sniper aiming at you and you don't move. You're dumb and you're stupid. One thing I never let my daughter say. I didn't let them say a lot of things. Because <laughs> words breed um, who you are. Right? They can fester in your head. You can become the words that you speak. One thing I didn't let them say was, it's not fair. It's not fair what happened to Father Collins. What do you guys want? What do you want? You want affirmative action? You, you want it to be some sort of quota system, some sort of affirmative action for traditional Latin mass priests? What do you want? You want handouts? Let me know. You want equal protection under the law? I get it. I get it. You want equal protection under the law. You want traditional Latin mass priests, you want Father Collins to be treated like Father James Martin. You want, you want the devil to treat um, um, children of God like he treats his children. I get it. That's weird. But I get it. If you're not thinking this thing through, I get how you can feel that way. I hear the emotions, right? But real talk is life doesn't work like that. That's not how it works. Sometimes you just have to work extra hard to protect what you have. Sometimes you live in a world where people are trying to take what you have. And it's your job to understand that there's takers and takers. And takers can always spot a giver. They do. Takers spot givers. They, they spot people who aren't willing to protect what they have. And they will take that opportunity to take it from you. That's the world we live in. Now, if you're not from the streets, you always live some sort of comfortable life. You, you don't know how this world is at, the, at, at times, right? You, you lived under a, a privileged blanket most of your life. I get it. I was there, right? And then I realized how the world is. There's takers out here. And you better grow up and you better understand that's what the world you live in. So maybe Father Shannon Collins got comfortable. Maybe he didn't understand where he was at. Maybe he got a new bishop in, in the diocese and, and, and maybe he thought, maybe there's some sort of game breakdown in communication. Maybe John, Bishop John Lightford didn't tell him that, oh, you got one more chance or it's about to get real, right? Drop the soap. Don't drop the soap. I'm coming to get you. Maybe he didn't understand the situation that he was in. All right? Maybe stop looking over his back. Got comfortable. People, people get comfortable and takers take. That's exactly how it happens. Lock your doors. <laughs> Bolt down your windows. It's a situation out here, especially with the traditional Latin Mass. Especially with the traditional Latin Mass. So if you, if you know people are coming for it, what the hell are you doing? Putting a bigger target on your back. Saying stuff like this. Stuff that's not even true. Not even true. <laughs> Mind you at that. There are legitimate criticisms of the traditional mass. I mean, of the Norvis Ordo. If you ever read my book, The Divine Symphony, you know, because I talk about all the liturgies and how all the liturgies, the beautiful thing about them, how they're all trying to communicate the one. It's been that way for 2,000 years. Right? So I talk a lot about in this book some of the things about the Norvis Ordo that, order that's just kind of weird. Right? Like, what is that? But there's an understanding that even through the Norvis Ordo, 
God, the, the, the calling is still for us to be holy. The, the liturgy is still leading us to divinization. And the purpose is not to stay there in a liturgy, but to go live that thing out. Go, whatever it is. Whether it's the Norvus Order, whether it's the Byzantine, whether it's the uh, um, Ambrosian, tr traditional Latin mass versions of it. You just got to go live that thing out, right? But in this book, you see, I have some, so there's, I, I speak, so there's some legitimate criticisms you can make about the Norvus Order. Like, what's this? And there's a way to do that, and there's a way to say it, perhaps even during a homily, but not the way he said it. That just that's just putting a target on your back. Sometimes you have to be humble and not haughty. Because I tell you, there's only two people in this world. There's a humble, and there are those who are about to be humbled. Let's have to follow calls about that. Now to your comments. Before I get to the comments, I had one addendum to what I said. One thing I didn't, I don't think I mentioned about traditionists, custodians, and, and the mode proprio, about the restrictions on the traditional land mass. You know, they're, they're, that discipline is a magisterial teaching. As I said in the other video, it belongs to the fourth grade of magisterial teaching. So it amends our obedience, okay? We may not like it, and we may find it to be unjust. Uh, I believe that a priest putting himself in a position so that the, the traditional Latin mass can get canceled altogether in that diocese is injustice as well. But yes, we, we can call this restriction on the traditional Latin mass an injustice. I, I think that's I think that's true. But at the same time, and perhaps this is what Father Collins was dealing with. Yes, there's suffering, I think, in this, in that restriction. It is suffering. It, it may feel unjust. Um, it, it may be a hardship. All that's true. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong whatsoever. As I'm, I'm going to talk about in one of the questions coming from Father Anthony concerning some of the reforms that he did in his parish that we have to stop seeking comfort and we have to stop crying out for comfort. We have to stop being these victims all the time. I'm not comfortable with this restriction. I'm not comfortable here or because of this in, in the liturgy. It, it, it's not comfortable to me. There's, um, God is divinizing us through our suffering and us being uncomfortable in this world. It is a good thing and a grace that the traditional Latin Mass has been restricted. It is. Because it's brought about suffering. And one thing God is doing, God is always conforming people's evil to his good. So what Pope Francis did was evil. The grace is that God is going to bring a good through that. Right? So we just have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to cooperate with God and realize that we are not victims. Rather, we have victory in Christ. 
So the response to the nurses, the priests who are assisting the great physician, again, is just to do your job, regardless of the conditions, regardless of the suffering, just do your job. Because if you do your job as God has called you to do it, which is you just pouring a water, just planting a seed, God is going to water that seed. He's going to provide the illumination for that seed to grow. You just have to do your job. Now to comments. It is Zilla. Uh, responding to a video I made about Cardinal Fernandez from the Dicastri, excuse me, from the disaster of the doctrine of the faith about his demonic book. Um, he says, David, what I don't understand is there are individuals defending Cardinal Fernandez, such as Michael Lofton. I don't understand how Lofton continues to defend the indefensible. I think a lot of people have that critique about Mr. Michael Lofton, Eddie. I don't have anything personal against Michael Lofton. Sometimes I poke fun at him, but he's someone who I like personally. We've talked one-on-one. -on -one. Um, at one point in time, I think you can still see this video on my channel. He was on talking about something we have in common about being posted board of men. So I, he, he's married. He has children. He, he's, he's a decent dude, right? So I don't have anything personal against him. But yeah, I understand the critique. And I think it can go both ways. I think Michael Lofton is a person. Remember, he used to have like a lot fewer sub subscriptions on YouTube than I did. He has like triple. He's found his niche. He's found, some people call it a grift, but he's found an audience he can service. And there are people who um, are, they may feel harmed, or they may feel um, burnt by the opposite extreme of Michael Lofton, um, the, the, the trad supremacist. And they realize going down that road that man this hasn't really worked out something is off about my life and then they listen to michael lofton taking it the other the opposite extreme so these are just two pinnacles you have the tragic supremacist and then you have michael lofton right and in both of these groups they both have these audiences who ears they tickle who tell them exactly what they want to hear and they get it right and it, it makes them feel good it affirms everything that they're afraid of so um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's both ways. So I, I think some of the same critiques we can offer about Mr. Michael Lofton that he defends the indefensible, uh, we can say about the other side as well, that sometimes that they affirm the unaffirmable, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, pray for Michael. Um, I, I think sometimes he, sometimes he's even right, but you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. I like him personally. And like I said, we both have one thing in common. You could perhaps see the same, this video on my YouTube channel still when he was on. And we were talking about how we're both um, post a board of men. And we had a great conversation about that. He's married. He has children. I think he's a, a decent dude, right? So, but, you know, he, he's, he's found his audience to service. And he does YouTube full time. He makes a living off of this. So we might not like the way he makes his living, but we can also say that about people who sell shady used cars. 
right? So, you know, I, I really don't know what to say, but yeah, I feel you on that critique about people like Michael Lofton. Responding to my essay about how Martin Luther King Jr. and the black bourgeoisie movement and the civil rights movement was nothing but a movement that uh, one of the main things that they were interested in was promoting the contraception ideology of, of Planned Parenthood and promoting eugenics in the black American community. Kalamazimilin says, if some American would ask me now what I think about Martin Luther King Jr., she says after learning about the eugenics movement that Martin Luther King and the black bourgeoisie class was into, she says, I would need to say he may have done a good job on segregation, but I strongly oppose his and many people in the civil rights movement's sexual politics. At this moment, I cannot find a better response to this question. I think that's a pretty good response. I probably wouldn't even go that far about complimenting the civil rights movement. Because if we look at the fruits of the civil rights movement, we uncategorically have to say, if we're just looking at the black American community, we just have to say just objectively, just by looking at the numbers, that we don't see that that community of people have progressed after the civil rights movement. In every metric, that measures human development. We don't see that black Americans were better off because of the efforts of the civil rights movements. We don't. One way we knew that, know that, is by looking at things such as employment, we look at marriage rates, we look at uh, divorce rates, fatherless homes, um, incarceration rate, rates, uh, literacy rates, all those things, we don't really see how blacks are better off after the civil rights movement. Rather, before the civil rights movements, we, we saw it was they had high marriage rates, low divorce rates, a, a low rate of fatherless homes, very high, high liter, higher liter, literacy rates than some cities like Baltimore and Detroit that you see today. Higher employment rates, especially before the scam of minimum wage, right? Because minimum wage, as Thomas Sowell likes to point out, you know, minimum wage, before minimum wage or before it was increased, there is really no cost to racism, right? So if you're a white employer and it's cheaper to hire a, a black person who will work for less than a, a white person, and I use these terms black and white just just as a matter of speak, I don't believe in you know race or anything like that. Or, you know, these are racist terms themselves, black and white. They came along just a couple centuries ago, you know, to um, stir racism. But, you know, just a matter of speaking, you know, black and white. It didn't cost the white employer more uh, to hire a black person because the black person is going to work for less, right? But when minimum wage was raised or even created, well, now there's a cost 
If I'm going to hire a stranger versus my cousin at the same rate, chances are 99% we're going to hire my cousin. Blood's just thicker than water, right? So it, it, so it, it doesn't, it, it costs me something. It costs me something to hire a person, uh, the white employer, it costs him something to be a racist now, right? Um, to hire a, a black person at the same rate that he would hire a white person. It, it costs him to be a racist. So minimum wage destroyed that. So blacks have, at some point in time, they, they had um, higher race employment than whites at some point in time before minimum wage was increased. So all of these metrics by which we measure human development, blacks were better be better off before the whole civil rights movement. Right? There, there are some metrics that we can look at as far as women getting college degrees and things like that. So I'm not saying cross the board, but largely, especially the, the basic, um, uh, just the building block society, uh, the nuclear family, the two parent household, uh, families with with church attendance blacks were more likely to go to church as a family before the civil rights movement than after uh, black men were more in a church before civil rights than after even there were more black catholics per capita of the black population um, before civil rights than after okay so the black community was just healthier before the civil rights movement than after so i, I can't i don't so i don't even know how how good the civil rights movements were because undergirded in the civil rights movement was this ideology that blacks were better off through force integration through this this force busing through uh forcing this you know, blacks that oh if i move out of my community with the predominantly black and move into these predominantly white neighborhoods oh i will be better off i will have what whites will have all right, so therefore, I'll be better off if I have what whites will have. This is a very sick ideology that, that had been in the black community for a very long time. This is why you see, you know, the whole, you know, black women straightening in their their hair thing like that, um, wanting to be light skinned so they can, um, if you're if you're the lighter you are, the better you off in society. If you look white, you're better off. It is, this whole it's a sick ideology. But integration, the forced integration thing was uh, a travesty. Even in my case, you know, my, my, my stepfather did well. He moved us into uh, a neighborhood where for a long time we were the only black family there. And but, you know, on weekends, he wanted to take me at some point in time. He realized that his stepson is basically a young white boy. <laughs> Right. You know, the way I talk, the way I dress, my friends and things like this. He said, oh, hey, this kid is in black, you know, not culturally black. So he wants to take me to, you know, his friends over the weekend, you know, to hang out with the black people, you know, um, get some black culture in me. So even the black people who had done that realized something is off here. OK, so uh, the black American community, it, it never needed this uh, forced integration. The only thing that blacks ever needed was equal protection under the law. That's it. Whether it came to housing, whether it came to jobs, whether it came to education, um, um, separate but equal. You know, if there, if there was going to be a, a black school, then it should have equal protection under law. It should have the same resources as a school that was so-called white. Right. And it's funny that even in a place where we did the forced integration, busing kids in uh, um, um, uh, black families moving to these white neighborhoods. The only thing that happened was, you know, white people move out of those neighborhoods and then a neighborhood becomes predominantly black. So all the places that we try to do forced integration are still, they're still, they're, they're still segregated today. So for, for the most part. So only thing that blacks needed, um, rather than this whole civil rights movement that in, infected us with a lot of false, false ideologies and 
um, only destroyed um, predominantly black communities. Um, and, and then through the whole welfare mindset of the government becoming father, um, rather than the black man becoming father, only thing that the black community ever needed was equal protection under the law and not all that other crap. In response to my video in which I outlined five of the ways in which the Norris Order Mass needs drastic reform, Father Anthony from the To Prepare His Way YouTube channel, and make sure you subscribe to that and go check out some of his content, it's really good. But he replied, um, he says, at a parish I ministered at for 10 years, I eventually implemented all the recommendations for reform that you make regarding the Norvis Ordo, except for the last one, which I simply self-regulated. My last recommendation was that priests be licensed to celebrate the Mass, that every two years they have to go back and get under, under the license through demonstration that they know how to read the black and do the red. He says, well, I self-regulated that one. He says, after first treating one, one prisoner mentioned to me that everything was amazing and asked me how I thought of doing things the way I did because he had never seen anything like it before. So he says some other comments, but then I came back and I, and I asked Father Anthony that I'm interested to know that based upon the metrics that you would have thought were important to measure the spiritual health of your community, did these reforms help? I don't know if growth, increased attendance is the, are the best metrics. I thought more souls attending confession would be a top metric, but interested in your thoughts. Thanks. And he says that um, the bottom line is this. The parish became what I called a destination parish. Catholics who are looking for more reverence and longer teaching type homilies and where they could not be in a tiny minority receiving Holy Communion kneeling on the tongue, these Catholics would drive for an hour to go there. Some of the locals were able to receive what I had to offer and were able to adjust, but many left and went elsewhere. But most of the locals who went elsewhere left way before I started offering the Mass ad Orientum and other reforms. So in reality, it's a bit more complex than I would have thought. I had only one person complain about the ad Orientum, by the way. Did confessions increase? Yes. But for the most part, I think that was because the people who already started traveling to that parish were already devout Catholics. Was there some transformations amongst the local Catholics? Yes, but to be frank about it, I think it was probably marginal. So he goes on to speak about that. And I really thought that was interesting that um, the fact that it matters that people are going to gravitate and find a, a liturgy that they're comfortable with. Right. That I don't know if it's an American thing or what, and I don't want to say, you know, with American Catholics, because it could be universal or nearly universal that we live, that the church that we have now, there are a lot of people, I think, who 
don't want to be made, who don't want to uh, pursue divination through the liturgy, right? They don't want to be transformed by the liturgy, right? Rather, they would rather just bring their comforts into the liturgy and be comfortable there, right? I think people don't understand that there's grace through not being comfortable because that's our life, especially in the West. We, we just seek comfort. Comfort is our our desire. It's what we work the hardest for. We, we just want to be comfortable. And so that attitude and that disposition and that, 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 that place that our heart is in, it gravitates towards those liturgies where we are comfortable. Right? And this is why people pull out kneelers with pads on them rather than just kneeling on a hard ground. This is why we pad all of our pews at the mass. This is why we bring in music from, from the world into the mass. We just want to be comfortable. And so I think this is what Father Anthony, one thing that he's pointing out, that people seek comfort. right? And if the traditional Latin mass or a reverence or Norris Ordo is comfortable for you, um, I, I think there's... Uh, we still have to find a way by which we're seeking those uncomfortable places in our relationship with God. Uh, seeking those uncomfortable places where God wants to divinize us, but we're blocking off and saying, oh, no, God, don't don't transform me there. Right. So, so so the thing is that everything in our spiritual life still requires a lot of self-reflection, a lot of contemplation. A lot of um, daily examinations at the end of the day, really just getting in there and doing a work and finding out where did I, um, how did I fail? Um, uh, what are those things that um, I, I did do or the things that I failed to do? That still requires a lot of work, right? And I don't care what liturgy you go to, you, you can fall in this place that's just comfortable, and that's not helpful. That's not how we become saints. Because I tell you, when the suffering comes and you've built your life around comfort and you've been comfortable, you even become comfortable with those things that used to be uncomfortable for you. I tell you, when the suffering comes, it's going to hit you harder because you're not used to suffering. You're not used to discomfort. So that's all I know about that. Thanks for tuning in. This is the David O. Gray Show. Off code and unscripted. Remember, Jesus loves you and is there for you. And I'll see you next time.